this is Dr. Jose Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. Um, you know, the the wonderful thing about the podcast is um, I have this opportunity to speak to amazing people and wonderful people. And today's guest is no different from a lot of my other guests. Although um, this guest, wow, I, I don't know. I've known this guest since I think second grade. <laughs> and so I'm going to I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell her story um, before we get started. So, Camelia, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Camelia Rubalcada. I am originally from Elsa, Texas, graduated in 97 and then moved to Iowa for about 20 years. Um, finished my education out there, um, got a bachelor's from the University of Iowa, master's from the University of Northern Iowa, and then 20 years later, moved back to the RGV to work as a director for the TRIO Student Support Services Program. Thank you for having me here. So, Camelia, thank you for joining me. Um, I always ask my guests, you know, I knew you as a student. I remember you in school. And I think you have a really fascinating story. So I'm going to give you a little back, set a little bit of context. So I, you know, because of social media, and it's easy to like find people and come across people, right? And social media recommends like, oh, you may know this person. <laughs> and I don't know how I came across your profile. I think it was on Facebook. And I think when I came across it, I had just started maybe my doctoral work. And I saw it and I saw what you're doing. And I think there was a picture of you with, um, what's his name? Um, Black theorist, is it Michael Eric Dyson? Mm -hmm. And I saw it and I thought, oh my God, that is so cool. But it is also like, it was just so surprising. <laughs> I didn't, because I, I don't think I'd, I'd heard from you or heard of you since we left high school. Mm -hmm. So Camelia, I always ask my guests if you had to go back and, and, and if you said my educational journey started here, where did your educational journey start for you? So I think even though my past is not the traditional past that many people in education have, um, I want to say that I think it still started for me and when I was younger, right? So even though I was not making the best choices in, oh my goodness, I think since middle school, <laughs> all the way up until I graduated high school, I knew I always wanted to go to college, right? I always told myself I was going to go to Yale, Harvard, or Stanford, and I was going to be a lawyer. So I think it started even then, but I got sidetracked and I had to be put on hold, right? Um, I got knocked up in high school and then, you know, I had to start working and taking care of a family. And even though I wanted to go to college, it was hard. I tried it. So, and I think another reason that motivated me to finish high school is because I remember Mr. Gutierrez would always say, get out of the hallway and go get an education, right? And I'm like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong that I'm going to graduate and go to college, right? And so, yeah, I graduated high school, but what did that mean? It's not just about graduating high school, it's about what else can you do with it, right? So I graduated high school and I remember walking to get my diploma and I'm like, I told you, 
because he was standing there and I thought I told you I was going to graduate. Um, so that was, I think, a motivating factor for me is that people doubted me because probably of the way that I spoke, the people that I hung out with, the choices I was making. And I think that's a big problem that a lot of people have is that they judge a lot of us who are underdogs. I'm an underdog and I'm proud of that because I think I came out on top in many different ways, but it started back in high school for me. So let me say, let me ask, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> you, you, you consider yourself an underdog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so as an underdog, as an underdog, because I, you know, I, I was not an underdog in high school, yeah. right? I was, I was, I was on the other, other side, uh, right? Yes. And, and, I, but I remember, I remember like for me, the most frustrating thing, like for me, the most frustrating thing was I remember being a senior in high school and, and because I, I was in football, like there were, there were guys on the football team that were underdogs. There were guys that, that that's all they had. They had football and they didn't have anything else. They weren't the greatest students, but they passed because they wanted to play. Yeah. And I think for me, the most frustrating thing was after the football season, it was like, nobody cared about a lot of those kids. Mm. And I remember like trying to help kids register for like the SAT or ACT, like the foot, my teammates and feeling like, like for me, I think I realized it at that point, you know, here are a group of people that go to the same school mm-hmm. and have very different realities. Mm-hmm. Like their experiences in the school are very different and it's not a big school. It wasn't like we had, like, I think our graduating class was like 268 or something. Yeah. But, you know, among those, everybody's experience was so different. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like? I think my experience, I had a good experience in, in high school. I had a lot of fun. Um, but what I do remember is because of the reputation that I had and being a teenage mother, I don't recall many people taking interest in me and saying, hey, this is how you need to prepare for college, mm-hmm. right? I, I feel like because of that now, the individuals who did try to reach out to me and, and support me, because of the person that I was, I pushed those individuals away. So I remember there was, um, it was Ms. Garcia. There were two Ms. Garcias in biology, um, the one with short hair and she, I think she wore glasses. She, oh my goodness, she tried her hardest to mentor me. Like she saw potential in me. And I just was rude. I was disrespectful. I didn't take in that. And eventually people, you know, have to accept their role in that person's life. Right. I see that now. So when people did see potential in me, I did notice that I was one of the reasons why I didn't get that additional continued support. But I don't remember counselors talking to me about college. Um, I remember I was pregnant when we had senior pictures and they were like, you have to come in and get out and take the photo. Like they didn't even give me a lot of chance to connect with others. It was like, oh, we can't have teenage mothers on campus, you know, pregnant individuals. That's the feeling that I got. But I did feel that my experience, even though it was fun and I still had some good experiences when it came to preparing me for a life after high school, 
I did not get that assistance. Kind of like how you were saying that you wanted to help some of your teammates, right? Um, and the individual, some of my individuals who were going to college, um, they had to sometimes separate themselves from us because they were afraid to be kicked out of the basketball team, right? Or mm-hmm. any other involvement that they had. So sometimes they had to separate themselves because their teachers and others were telling them, if you hang around that crowd, you're going to miss out on this. So those were some of the experiences that I saw. Um, and so it was for college, I didn't feel that there was a lot of guidance there. So you, um, you're pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. graduating as you're finishing up high school. And you said after, after high school, you had to put like those college dreams on hold, right? You're raising a family and providing for the family. How, how did you find, how did you make your way from Elsa to Iowa? So what happened is I graduated. I proved Mr. Gutierrez wrong, right? That I was going to graduate. Um, and I did try going to college. Um, but remember, I didn't get that extra support from counselors where they teach you what skills you need to continue to be successful in college, right? So I went in with the same mindset to college that I had in high school. I don't care. I'm going to get a C. I'll graduate. I'm out of here. I'll get my degree, right? That was my mindset. And so that first year in college, I didn't do so well. I had a baby. I had to work. And then I was trying to be full-time student, right? So I Ended up um, not doing so well the first year in college. This job opportunity presented itself. Um, they were promoting, recruiting people to go work in Iowa. And at that time, my ex-husband, he had just lost his job. And so I said, let's go for it. It's only for six months. You know, they're going to pay us to go to get there. They're going to get us a hotel and we're going to have a job. And so we ended up going and six months turned into 18 years and the reason it turned into 18 years is because it was a very different environment from what I had been a part of or seeing growing up. Um, and there was a lot more opportunities out there. So um, when I ended up staying for 18 years, I think. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, talking to, and, and you work with young people here, right? And I, I work with young people and, and I often find that, a, that a lot of our, our students are reluctant to leave. What gave you the courage to 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 say, I'm going to take I'm going to let's try this. You know, they're going to pay us. They're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the type of person that I am, I'm not afraid of a challenge. And so I knew I always wanted to go places. Like I said, I wanted to go to Harvard, Yale and Stanford. And um, I was like, let's just go. Right. And the thing is, like people were telling me not to go people that had never really left the valley were telling me don't go to Iowa this is how the people are going to treat you there's nothing but corn there you know things like that that's what they were telling me and so I was like well you know what let me check it out for myself and then I can decide whether or not it's a place for me and leaving the valley was one of the best decisions I had ever made for myself Um, I'm so glad that I left my family ended up coming with us, you know, at that time. So I feel like leaving the Valley for me was one of the best decisions I could ever make. So you go to Iowa, you're working. How long were you there before you decided, you know what, I'm going to give college another try? 
Well, I knew that that was a goal of mine. So I got there in, I believe, 98, July 4th of 98. And I enrolled in school that fall semester and spring. And then I got pregnant again. And then my car got on fire. So I was like, oh, man, this is not a sign to go back to school, right? (laughs) So um, I had to stop out. And it wasn't until probably close to 27 years old when I decided that I was going to go back again. I had tried several times, even after that first year I got there. I tried going back again a few years later and I was doing really well. But what happened, because I didn't know a lot about for-profit institutions, I enrolled in a for-profit institution. I was told that all my classes would transfer when I would complete. And as I was preparing to finish that that degree, I was going to transfer to the University of Iowa. And um, I called them to see to make sure that my classes that I had already taken were going to transfer. And they said that not all of them were going to transfer. So I was like, okay, so I'm $10,000 in debt. And now I have to retake these classes. So I just stopped attending school. You know, I was like, I'm done. I'm I'm just going to go to a different school from this point forward. And I did try going to a different school. Um, I I was ready to start again. And then here's another thing happening in my life. I'm going through a divorce. And I had never really hung out or gone out to the club because, you know, I had a baby at 17. So as I'm going through my divorce, I'm going out Saturday nights, right? And I'm drinking and going out Saturday nights. I was over 21 years old. So anyways, I'm I'm going out. And then it was Friday, Saturday, then Tuesday through Saturday and trying to take a 8 a.m. biology class is not gonna work when you're partying six days a week. (laughs) So I flunked out again from school. And this time I got even worse. I um, lost my financial aid for five years. So it wasn't until I was 27 when I decided to go back and I told myself, okay, I have spent 10 years of my life bullshitting, right? Working jobs that just barely making ends meet, trying to go to school, but not doing it the right way, the way that works for me, right? So I said, I'm going to go back this time. It's going to be all or nothing. And if it's not going to be all of it, then I'm not going to waste my time anymore. So I decided to go back. And this time I only took certain classes, two or three classes a semester that I knew would work with my job. Um, I was sitting in the front of the class every start of the class, every semester. I was in tutoring office two, three, four times a week. I was in professor office hours. So I had to change my behavior and my mindset to be able to be successful. And um, that was how I ended up back in college um, at a nonprofit this time. And um, even until that point, I didn't know still a lot about how college works, right? So I just assumed that everybody gets accepted into the University of Iowa. I had no idea that there was a possibility that I would not get accepted. Thankfully, I got accepted, right? But I didn't learn that until I started working there. You know, I was like, oh, man, I'm so glad I got accepted (laughs) to the university. Um, And so that was um, the things that transpired in my life that led me to change the way that I I thought about school, how I was going to approach it. And um, I was still planning to be a lawyer when I went back. I was going to do business law. But during my experience, unfortunately, I didn't have a good advisor, right? 
this advisor knew my plan was to go get a business law. I wanted to get into the College of Business at the University of Iowa, and they required a 2.7 GPA to get admitted into the program. I had about a 2.5 something. No matter how many A's or B's I got, all those bad grades from back then was making it very difficult to raise my GPA. (laughs) So um, the advisor didn't tell me, and I applied. I got denied. So then I appealed, I got denied again. So then I'm like, look, I got to meet the person that keeps denying me because I need to find out why I'm not getting accepted into this program if I'm doing different now. And I met with the person and he's like, look, you're not getting in basically. I, Cause I, I want honesty. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, look, you're not getting in. I see that you're doing really well from back then, but it's still not going to happen. We're not going to let you into the program. And I was already a student at the University of Iowa. So I really appreciated his honesty. We still connect with each other to this day. And so during that process, because of that door closing on me and seeing that I didn't have a good advisor to to guide me in the right way, like she could have said, okay, what things are you good at, right? So that we can get A's in these classes. I could have taken Spanish classes. I could have done something to really raise the GPA that I needed. So in that process, I had I already had probably like a year left, I think, to to graduate a year and a half, I think. And so now I'm thinking, okay, I'm 30 some. I got three kids. Now I got to stay here another. I owe so much money to college. Now I got to stay here another three years. Like, what am I going to do now? And they had me connect with other individuals and they were starting this new degree called interdepartmental business degree. And they're like, this is a new degree that we think could work for you. And I'm like, look, I think to me, it sounds like a bullshit degree. It sounds to me like you're trying. Yeah, I'm like, it sounds to me like you're trying to give me something just to say, hey, thanks for your time. We don't want you to leave empty handed, but here you go. Right. I'm like, what can I do with that degree? Like marketing is marketing. Finance is fi- finance. But then the individuals that I would meet with, they're like, look you've been working since the age of 17, right? You have professional experience. Look at the personality personality that you bring. Like you're not going to have a hard time finding a job. This is going to help open up some doors for you. So I'm still not convinced that this is the degree for me, right? So I'm looking at other degrees and I had to go to the advisor and the career advisor that I had met. And I go and I said, look, don't bullshit me. Give it to me straight. I'm 30 some. I got three kids. Should I work on my GPA or take this degree? One of them is like, look, you're not getting any younger. Okay, now let's talk, right? (laughs) Like, that's what I want to hear. Like, let's talk. So it made no sense to go for the, the GPA, right, to raise it. And they're like, if you take this degree, you will graduate next summer. I said, perfect. Let's do it. Right. So then I was like, okay, this is not the end for me. I'm going to go get my master's because now I want to do higher ed. I want to be the voice for the students who are not told the truth, who are not helped, right? Who are told someone else's journey. So because of these amazing individuals that I met, that even though they denied me access to what I wanted, I think they were still very helpful, very honest. They understood my background and what I was trying to do. 
So I was like, okay, now I'm going to go for a master's. And my good friend, Dave Gould, he's the one that told me, look, you're not getting any younger, right? So we became really good friends. Then he's like, look, I know you want to do the master's, but you don't have a 3.0. You have a 2.54. And I'm like, well, let me exhaust all my options before I give up that notion, right? Because I want to be a voice for students now. So um, I was going to apply to the University of Iowa's um, Student Affairs program. And I actually met with the director and I said, look, I don't have the GPA, but I'm going to really study for the GRE. I'm going to get a really good score. Will they even look at my application? And her first thing was, have you looked at these other schools that have the same program? When she said that, you know, they don't want you in the program, right? So (laughs) I was like, no, I have not. And so thankfully, she told me schools they were. And I called, one of them was in Illinois, and I was like, look, I don't have a 3.0. Let me know now if they're going to look at my application, because if they're not, I'm not paying the $35 to apply, right? And the lady's like, look, send us in your information, because sometimes there's another way to get to a 3.0. And I said, okay. So I sent her the information. She's like, you were close, but they're not going to look at your application. I said, perfect. I don't want to waste any money, right? Thank you. My last school was at the University of Northern Iowa. I think there was like a snowstorm or something, and I had an appointment up there. So I had to drive two and a half hours to meet with this person, and his name is Dr. Wagner. I am so thankful to Dr. Wagner. So I drive up there. I tell him my story, how I had made choices that were not the best, but this is what I learned. This is what I want to do. This individual had no application, no letters of rec, no transcript, just my story. He was like, okay, send me an email when you get back so that I can be reminded what we talked about. Let me see if there's something that can be done because There is an assistantship and they help with tuition, but you have to have these requirements, which is a 3.0 and everything else. I said, okay. So I sent them an email. Two weeks later, I get an email that says, congratulations, you're accepted, finish your application. I was like, oh my goodness. So that was my story into um, getting my master's. (laughs) Yes. So so I think um, one I mean, what, what persistence, I, I mean, to, I, I think to continue and, and your story, I think is, is, um, is inspiring, right? Because I think, I think a lot of times the doors are closed in front of us. Our circumstances can certainly provide us with a number of obstacles. And, and here you had a number of things that happened along the way that I think for most people would have, would have discouraged anybody from continuing. And so to see you persist and persist and persist through ups and downs and through just everything that you went through, I think, wow, that's, that's just amazing. But I also knew there was a great story there. That's why I wanted you to join me because I thought, I thought, okay, there's got to be this interesting story with them. And not, not that, you know, all of my guests have interesting yeah. stories, right? But, but, but everybody's story is so unique. And so, you know, one of, one of the reasons for the podcast is, is because I, I you know, I, I want to give young people 
different experiences. Mm-hmm. I want them to recognize that there's not one path. Mm-hmm. Wherever it is that we're going in our journey, it's not one path and it's not decided when you're 18. It's not decided when you're 20. Right? We have multiple opportunities to you know, to influence where we go, right? And opportunities to make good decisions and bad decisions. And so I really appreciate your story. So Camelia, you um, you were telling us about your master's program mm-hmm. and how, you know, challenging it was to get in, how you went in and saw this, this, this gentleman and uh, basically shared your story, mm-hmm. shared your story. And and obviously, it's a compelling story. It, it moved him and he offered you admission. Um, why was it important for you to get the master's again? So I wanted to be a voice for students who had not been guided in the right direction. <clears throat> Advisors are amazing. I was an advisor once I became, you know, um, started in my professional journey. But before that, I had encountered some advisors that were not very helpful with my situation. And um, after having gone through all those challenges and trying to figure out, should I change my major once I didn't get accepted? What should I do? I realized that because advisors have large caseloads, sometimes it might be treated as a assembly line. These are the classes you take, you come in, you come out, right? Yeah. And they don't really have the time to answer questions. And I'm not saying all advisors are that. I um, had an advisor that was not the greatest for me. And so when I met individuals that were honest, while I'm trying to figure out my own journey, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I think this is what's going to help me um, better understand higher education and how to help students so they don't end up in situations like me, be a voice for them and help them find their voice. Because sometimes we feel we can't challenge what an advisor says. We can't yeah. question it because we don't know the ins and outs of how that works, right? And so I wanted to be a voice for students. It's funny how, I don't know, life gives us these opportunities, right? And so for you, here you are, you described yourself as an underdog student mm-hmm. and um, who stu- a student who, in your own words, wasn't necessarily open to getting advice and guidance in high school, maybe, mm-hmm. right? But here you find yourself, you've given all of your life experience to this point, given your experience in college, and you find yourself with an opportunity to be, like you said, a voice for students mm-hmm. and a guide for students. Um, I don't know that I, I don't know. That's, um, ironic. <laughs> I, I was going to say like karma, I was going to say, I don't know, right? but, but yeah, it's, it's this just, you, you know, your, your life, it feels like has come full circle, you know, this, yeah. uh, this opportunity has presented itself and it's a role that, I mean, it sounds like you've really, um, taken to, it's very, it's, it's, um, I think people often take jobs and it's, um, it's just a job, right? Mm-hmm. But it seems like for you, it's very personal. Mm-hmm. It's like my calling. I can do it anywhere, right? Um, and, and you know, I know, like you said, hey, you know, you've described yourself as this, right? And it's, it's that I have to be very honest with my journey, right? And I'm very transparent with my students. I share the challenges that I went through. Some of them are not always going to be um 
traditional challenges and mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. people might not feel comfortable sharing those, but I share it with them because I want them to know that they're not alone, that they will get through it. We just need to do it together. And, you know, the crazy thing is I remember like when I was younger, like we went to school together. Right. Um, and so you, you kind of have an idea of what my story was like back then. Um, but I remember when I was younger, I was in classes like with you, Carlos, um, Christina Cantu, Maria Casares, David Zavala, Mag- Ma- Maggie Zavala, like all the kids that individuals would think they have a bright future and they do. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know what happened. Like in sixth grade, they started separating me from all <laughs> those individuals. I think my priorities changed. So yeah. when they, the, the school administrator saw that my priorities changed, I was no longer given a chance to be in those classes. And yeah. I see now why, because I would have been disrupting the learning of those individuals because I was not the easiest student in class. <laughs> um, so, um, but I always wanted to do something with my life. I just got distracted for a little bit, right? Yeah. But I had a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of fun. Um, but I feel like those experiences made me who I am now. So I can, I have book smart and I have street smart. And I think yeah. I'd prefer the street smart over the book smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, um, no, I, I, uh, I completely understand. And, and yeah, it was funny. Um, you know, yeah, we were in the, uh, the same classes and then, yeah, at some point, right. The <laughs> school started to stratify uh-huh. students. You all are yeah. going this way and you all are going this way. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy and, yeah. and, um, just really proud of you and, um, what you've done for yourself, but also, what you're doing for other students. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you finished your master's and then what was next for you? What was the um, next step? So the, actually the funny thing is I finished my master's and in my mind, I still wanted to go be a lawyer. I was going to go to business law, right? I have a master's now. They can't deny me. I'm going to apply to these schools. And I had like a part-time job um, working for the district attorney of Washington, Iowa. And she had said that she would write a letter of recommendation for me. And then some individuals that we went to school with um, had law degrees and they had shared with me like, hey, you know, I know GPA is important, but, you know, we I know individuals in these law schools. You, you, you might not have a problem if you do apply. Let me know. And so I was really going to apply to law school. And um, I remember doing some research and saying, OK, is it worth it? Because I already have all this. I owe all this debt. Then I'm going to get in more debt. And am I going to be able to make it? So I did some research about, you know, how individuals in that field, do they get jobs? Um, Do they make partner? What's the pay? And the research that I found is that it was even harder now at that time to make partner. And so people were only making $50,000 a year. And so I was like, oh, no. And I was going to move to Spain. That was going to be my thing. I was going to move to Spain. And um, it didn't work out for me. The pay and the cost of living in Spain was not adding up. So um, I ended up working at the University of Iowa. And thankfully, I think what happened, I had done an internship there. 
and I had actually done an internship here um, at U- when it was Pan Am. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> they started, they were hiring at Iowa. And I never knew how competitive these jobs are. Or once you have an education, how it works. So before I had an education, I would apply for jobs. 90% of the time, I would get the jobs. Like I didn't have a problem getting a job. Then when I was graduated and it was time to start looking for jobs, I was about to graduate. I got more (laughs) denial letters than I had ever gotten, right? And so I just thought, well, I know people, I'm going to get a job. I didn't think I was going to have a hard time. So when it was time to interview at the job, even though I had already done an internship there, I had never done a presentation for a job. I had never, you know, put something together like that for a job. So I was like very, very nervous. And then you find out that in education, there's also a lot of politics and red tape. And so people already are doing interim jobs and they get the job. So I was kind of nervous, but I ended up getting the job at Iowa and I was very successful there. I would say Um, I love what I did. Um, The students were amazing. Every year I would come out on the paper as like someone that has helped them. Even a year after I left, someone sent me an article like, hey, you came out on the paper again. So that was what happened after my master's. I was going to go to law school, live in Spain, and I ended up staying in Iowa (laughs) working with students. (laughs) But it sounds like, I mean, you were still doing great work and still helping your students. But you chose to leave Iowa. What happened? I did. So I had been in Iowa since I was 19 years old. So um, I had met a lot of wonderful people. I felt that I had already grown as much as I could. That was one. And then the winters are brutal. So it's like cold nine months out of the year, 20 below zero. And I think I was already tired of the winters. I had gone to Florida on vacation and I have real bad anxiety with driving. And so wherever I move, if I can drive there, I will move there. So I went to Florida and I was, I'm like, oh, I can drive here. I feel my anxiety is not bad. And so I was like, okay, when Ashley graduates, my daughter, I'm going to move to Florida. It's time. Like I've grown as much as I could. The, The winters are bad. And nobody from Florida called me, not one person. And my friend's like, look, no one's calling you. You're going to have to open up the net. And so then I opened up the net to Georgia. And when I did that, I started to get calls like from California, from Maine, Florida, and Georgia was um, where I went. And I'll tell you why I fell in love with the school in Georgia. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter how much education I have. I feel like I'm always very authentic in who I am and how I present myself. I, of course, I know if I'm talking to the president of the college, I'm not going to go and be like, hey, what's up? Where are you at? Right. I'm going to I can adapt. I know how to do that, but I'm still very authentic. And some people judge me because of like the red hair, the attire, the form fitting attire or the way that I speak. So I still get judged a lot in, especially in higher education. I realize that people in the, many people in this field sometimes can be judgmental. <laughs> and so when I went to Georgia, I, I was like, I'm going to go in as myself. A friend of mine asked me, are you going to change your hair color? I'm like, no. 
because if they don't hire me because of my hair, I don't belong there. I don't want to show up with dark hair a month later, change it. And then they wonder who they hired. So I went for the interview and my hair was brighter than this. And the minute I walk in, the lady at the front was, I love your hair. I said, this is my job. I'm going to get this job. So when she said that, I'm like, this is my job. I'm walking away with the job and I got the job. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was... I, I love that. I, you know, about being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And you said, you know, you want to be authentic and you want um, you want them to know who exactly they're hiring. You don't want to show up. And then a month later, it's, mm-hmm. you're a different person. Right. So I can appreciate that. I think, um, um, you know, there are a lot of lessons there for for folks that are mm-hmm. trying to go out and and. and you know, get, get their first job or, or find their way in a very competitive job market. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So you go, um, to Georgia yes. and were you doing the same kind of work or what were you doing there? Yeah. So at Iowa was a trio counseling specialist working with first generation students, students that come from low income backgrounds. And in Georgia, I was an advisor, but working with students, um, that, didn't have the GPA that they needed. So trying to make sure that they had guidance along the way. So mm-hmm. I did that for about three years. And then I taught a course and um, I actually grew a lot more in Georgia. I feel like my boss, amazing woman, her name is Karen um, and this, and my colleagues, like they knew what would make me nervous because they were all presenting at conferences. And I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And they, they're like, okay, I'll do one with you so that you can feel comfortable. So I had never written like a proposal like that. And because of that, I was able to grow a lot more. I presented like at three different conferences. I presented at Nakata, the FYE, and then I was chosen to present at a CRLA conference as well. So, um, And I feel like I learned a lot more about students. The thing is that every demographic is different. So when I worked at Iowa, the students were always so thankful and appreciative of my help. And like I said, I would come out in the paper every year. My calendar was booked from nine to four and they would wait three weeks to meet with me. When I went to Georgia, if I didn't answer an email immediately, they would contact the president of the college that I wasn't helping them, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what? I'm so helpful. Right. Um, But it's just something it's different. So you learn how to adapt and adjust and help the student the best way you can, depending on the environment that you're in. So it really taught me a lot. (laughs) So I remember, um, I was already like following you aware of your, of where you were at your journey. And I remember it was uh, 2018 at the FA mm-hmm. conference in San Antonio mm-hmm. and it was the morning. And I think you were doing a presentation on your book club. Uh-huh. And, and I think I had an, like, I had something at the same time um, or one of my colleagues was presenting. And so yeah. I remember walking by the room and just peeking in uh-huh. as I was on my way. And, um, and it was so cool to see you. And telling people like where to sit, you were getting all set up. And I thought, wow, is this the same girl I went to school with? Thank you. You know, from second or third grade. Um, and I like, you know, it just like I couldn't help but smile and to see like the work that you were doing. And 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 you, yeah, you, you know, you're not lying. I, I remember you posting about a lot of the stuff that you were doing, the the the, the great work that you were doing. 
Um, but you, you know, your time in Georgia was limited. You weren't mm-hmm. there for very long, right? Mm-hmm. Three years. Mm-hmm. Three years. And then, and then you came home. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, <clears throat> like I said earlier, I made a lot of bad choices growing up, but I had a lot of fun. <clears throat> RGV is my home, but I also know what it's like to grow up here. Um, and I, I know that when I would come back one year, five years, 10 years, conversations had not changed much. Um, and things had not changed much in my neighborhood and not, maybe not everyone has that experience, but I had that experience. And so, and because of my past of how I had grown up, um, I didn't think raising my children here would be the best thing for me, even though my children did not make the best choices growing up. I see now I should have just stayed here. um, You know, um, I was like, okay, I think I need to, to stay away. Right. And so I never had any intentions of coming back. Um, I never wanted to come back to live. Um, And like I mentioned, my sister was going through some stuff. She was homeless for a little bit. So I figured I'll apply if I get the job, I can help her. And um, this school was actually the last on my list. And as you know, when you're applying for, for jobs, you have like your top choice and you, you know, but I, I think I was meant to be here. I'm so thankful that I'm here. Like I have an amazing boss. The staff is amazing. We're an amazing team. The students, like I love when I come into the office, not now because of the pandemic, but before the pandemic, just hearing the students speak Spanish. It's like, I love it. It's music to my ears. Like Brownsville is so rich in history and I've done so much here with the students. Um, I've had students tell me um, that no matter the amount of sociology classes that they've taken, that what they learned on cultural competency and diversity here is what has made an impact in their lives for them to be um, change agents out there. So um, I, that's why I say I think I was meant to be here to share the knowledge that I have gained from leaving the area and to also motivate the students to go out there and see that there's a lot more than the RGV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. When, um, when you were really struggling, Mm -hmm. could you imagine, did you, well, could you see the light at the end of the tunnel? I could, but sometimes it gets frustrating Right. But I think at some point you have to say, okay, what is it that you want? Right. Like I said, I had already been 10 years of my life doing nothing, partying. And I mean, I had fun, but still, it wasn't getting me anywhere. Like I lost my car and everything else. But but I was like, okay, I have to do something different. And I think for me, that's why I said for me, the thing was I wanted my children to see that no matter what, mm-hmm. you can make it, right? Um, and I remember like Ashley, she would always be so embarrassed to tell her friends how old I really was because her friends' mothers were older than me, right? So, it, you know, things like that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to school because I want my kids 
to go to college. And it didn't turn out that way, the way that I had envisioned it with for them. But I wanted them to see that you can make it out of anything. Um, and look at my life. And actually, I didn't want them to have my life. Like I didn't start to get it together till I was like close to 30. And sometimes like my daughter will be after all the challenges she's gone through. She'll be like, but look at you, mom, like you're a boss now. I'm like, yes, but I had I, I'm just getting there. Yeah. It took me a long time. I don't want you to be in your 30s to figure this out. Do it now while you're still youthful. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> your story has so many valuable lessons it's not the traditional path right mm-hmm. you talk about you describe yourself as the, the underdog student and it sounds like you have become the ideal champion mm-hmm. for underdog students thank you um what what last piece of advice would you give our listeners out there I say that for the advice I would give them is to go for it. There's going to be haters all the time in your corner, your circle, telling you, don't move out of the area. You're not going to get accepted into that program. You don't have the credentials. But if we sit and listen to them, we're never going to know for ourselves. Um, Exhaust all your options before you give up and don't forget where you come from. I think that's the most important thing is don't forget where you come from. Know that it's okay to fail, but you're going to give back up. So just go for it and be true to yourself and always put yourself a priority first. You know, don't give everything to your job, to your schooling, and then forget the most important person, which is you. So go for it. Camelia, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for all of the amazing and wonderful life lessons. I um, like I said, I'm incredibly proud of you. I'm I'm, you. I'm so proud of and impressed by by the not not necessarily the person you've become because I, I think like you know I, I remember you as a student and I remember you as a classmate and and you know I I don't remember anything like I, I think we there's so much like we carry so much baggage mm-hmm. right and the and when we're young like there's so many labels placed on us mm-hmm. and so like a disruptive child right or a problem kid or things like that and, you know, my memories of you are always good. You were just loud and you always just seemed like you were just were always having a good time. I don't remember you being like mean or bad or anything like yeah. that. So that so was I in think- junior high. <laughs> <laughs> Those were my fighting days in junior high. <laughs> but I think like at your core, like, you, you know, you've you've never lost sight of who you are Mm-mm. and that fighter in you. Mm-hmm. Right is what's kept you going and kept kept you fighting for yourself and for for the mm-hmm. things that you want. Um, and so, so thank you, thank you for your story, thank you for for your time, and and I wish you the best. I wish you the best yeah. as you continue to help students and continue to champion for them and fight for them. And 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 I know you're going to continue to 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 change a lot of students' lives. Thank um, you. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. So this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Um, thank you to my guest, Camila Ruacada. And thank you to our listeners out there. Please, please, please um, 
you know, check out our next episode. Um, please subscribe and follow and share the podcast with, with all of your friends. And we will see you next time. Thank you and bye-bye.